Amen. Amen. That is who he is. That is who he is. Everything we've sang about him is true. And we're going to talk about that. You know, this week I had a friend of mine that uh, we do things together. We play golf together and we travel together sometimes. And, and uh, he was inviting me to join him in an activity. He was down here in the valley. And uh, he said, look, uh, Wednesday I'm going to go skydiving. And I'd like for you to join me. And I thought about it like for 10 seconds. You know, I, I, there are some things that I'm willing to, to do, crazy things, uh, you know, like jump in a cave in the Philippines into water where I don't know where, you know, where I'm going to come out. Maybe I'll do that. Maybe, maybe I'll be willing to go parasailing. But jumping from an airplane 15,000 feet uh, high and, uh, and just looking down at the Laguna Madre, I don't know. I don't know if I'm crazy enough to do that. My, my friend uh, did that and, and uh, he invited me to do that. And I thought about the fact that sometimes we want to do things where we completely lose control just for the thrill of it, uh, at least for a moment, 30 seconds of free fall and then, um, and then the parachute comes out. But I said, you know, but there are plenty of times in life where we lose control, not because we want to, but because we just simply don't have control and we have to lean on something. It's not the loss of physics, but maybe we have to lean on someone or something that will change the situation. And so today, as we talk about that, learning to lean, leaning is something, it's like a learned behavior. It's like a muscle that you have to exercise and strengthen. And today as we continue the series on the life of David, we come to an episode when David finds himself in a very tight spot, in a very difficult situation. It's an interesting little story and it teaches us how David learned to lean on the Lord. And I'd like for you to go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 21, beginning with verse 10. That's the heart of, of, of the text that we're gonna look at. It says, that day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David the king of the land? Isn't he the one they say about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, look at the man, he's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? So David acts insane to save his life. It's a very different strategy from the one he used before Goliath, isn't it? We've seen David as a, as a little shepherd boy. We've seen David as a therapeutic musician in the king's court. We've seen David as a champion in front of a giant. And we've seen David as a military leader, but today we're gonna to see David as a madman, as a crazy guy, if you would. 
And I want us to look closely at what's going on in the life of David, including the background around it. And the first thing that we notice is that David is alone. David is alone. Sometimes relationships wear out. David was fleeing from Saul when he realized that Saul wanted to kill him. He started fleeing and he came to a place called Nob where, where he, uh, there was a priest by the name of Ahimelech. And the priest in verse one of 1 Samuel 21 asked this, notice it says, David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David shows up to this town by himself and that's surprising to the priest for two reasons. One, at least two reasons. One of those is that uh, it, this is the ancient world and people in the ancient world don't travel alone. It's dangerous. Usually you travel by foot and you have to go through uh, to the woods and you have to go through difficult places and there may be animals uh, that will attack you in the middle of the night or the middle of the day uh, or perhaps there are bandits, thieves that will assault you and will take everything that you have. And so you don't travel alone. You, you get a band of friends or, or, or a military battalion to, to travel together or an extended family with servants who, who can defend you from danger. And the second reason that it's strange for David to be alone is because David had come to be favored in the king's court. You remember that after David won that battle before Goliath, that, that uh, everyone admired him and respected him. He got to be in the king's chambers. And, and so he had friends that had fought in battle with him. He had friends in, in the royal court. He, he had people around him that admired him. And, and you would never expect David to be alone. And yet he's alone here. He's without friends. Saul was bent on killing David. And so he flees secretly. He doesn't have time to recruit people to go with him. He goes one day from being favored in the king's court to being someone who is fleeing by himself. I wonder what might have been going through David's mind. If, if as he was traveling through the days and nights, if, if he was remembering how nice it was to sit at the king's table and have plenty of friends and, and food around him, or, or perhaps he was remembering how life was so simple when he was at his father's home, when he took care of sheep and, and his dad took care of everything else. Maybe he was wondering why this had happened to him. What would he do now? Who can David lean on when there's no one around that he knows? Sometimes life is like that, isn't it? One day we're surrounded with friends and family and, and then suddenly we find ourselves alone. Sometimes family gives its back to us. Sometimes friends betray us. Sometimes we're the ones who give our backs to friends and family. When we find ourselves alone, whom, on whom do we lean? When you cannot lean on your friends or family, on whom do you lean? I, I'm a people person. I like to be around people. It energizes me. And I, I do appreciate having moments of, of quiet and alone to, to reflect. But I don't like those moments to last very long. I came back from the Philippines a couple of weeks ago. 
And uh, my wife had gone up to uh, Dallas-Fort Worth to visit, to be with my father-in-law for Father's Day. So I came home and, uh, and, and, and the house was empty. And, and so I, I, you know, it's okay for, for a little while, but, but then after a while it just gets lonely. And uh, you, you wake up by yourself and, and eat breakfast by yourself and, and then you go to bed and the only one around is Polo the cat. And somehow you begin to bond with this cat that you've never liked before. And one day goes by and, and another day goes by. And, and I know that Thursday, Monica is coming back and I'm gonna be okay. Uh, I, I had Chad and Elise rescue me one night, invite me to, to dinner with them and, and I enjoyed that. But, but you know, uh, even a few moments, a few days alone reminds you uh, of how difficult that is. But when you're completely, completely alone and you have no hope, uh, no, no end in sight to your situation. That's exactly what was going on here with David. Secondly, we see that David is unarmed. His resources had run out. He, he had fled so quickly that he didn't have time to take any weapons from the royal palace. Look at verse 8 of 1 Samuel 21. David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. David is not telling the whole truth to Ahimelech, but, but the truth is that he needs a weapon. He, he hadn't brought any weapons with him. Now, it's ironic because you remember that not too long ago, David had access to the king's very armor. It was that occasion that the king said, you can put on my armor. And the king continued to promote David in military rank. And, and David had access to all of the weapons in, in the kingdom. But now he's here in a foreign place asking if he can borrow a spear or a sword. In fact, not only is he short weapons, but he's hungry too. He asked if he can have bread because he hadn't even brought a sack lunch with him. He had nothing the shepherd boy who had made sure that his sheep had plenty of food, he didn't have food for himself. The delivery boy who took cheese and bread to his brothers in battle didn't have anything to his name on this occasion. David had known God as a provider in the past, but, but would God provide again in this situation? David had experienced God's victory using a simple sling, but would a sling be enough? on this situation. Many times when the odds were against him, David had relied on, on God's power and provision, but could he do that again? Did he have the faith and the strength to do that again? It's possible that our resources run out. Just because we have everything or a lot on today doesn't mean that we're gonna have it all tomorrow, does it? Life situations can change. We were talking uh, as we were in the Philippines and, and we were teaching uh, leaders to do highs and lows. We were asking them to share a high from their week and a low from their week. There was a guy by the name of Peter. He, he shared his low, he, you know, he, he gave his high and, and then he said, my low is that I own a fish farm and my family depends on, on the sale of those fish, but the heat has been so high here in the Philippines that most of my fish have died. And I don't know what I'm going to do. One day, he had plenty 
of provision and the next day it's all gone. So what do you do? What do you do when your resources run out? What do you do when you feel exposed? What do you do when you have nothing materially speaking? Where do you go? On whom do you lean? That was the question that David had to ask himself. And then thirdly, we see that David becomes afraid. That's when reason gives out. David had displayed incredible faith and courage but in the past, but now his faith seemed to be shrinking. His circumstances caused his courage to waver and, and he was allowing fear to, to creep in to his life. David had fled from Saul and he sought the protection of another king. So he went to Achish, king of, of Gath, which is kind of ironic because Gath is where Goliath was from. And I would think that, that if you go to the place where there was a, a giant that you killed that people in that place would not like you very much. But David goes there. I'm not sure why he goes there. The Bible doesn't explain. Maybe, maybe he thinks that they'll respect him because he killed their champion. I don't know. Maybe he's not thinking straight. That's possible too. But, but he goes there and, and as he arrives seeking shelter and protection from the king, uh, he's asking for refuge. The king's servants become suspicious. They've heard a refrain that has, been, that has come from Jerusalem, apparently has spread throughout the whole place. And, and he goes like this, Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his tens of thousands. I think he had gone viral on Twitter or on YouTube. Maybe he had a million likes on Facebook, but somehow they heard this refrain and, and they were concerned about it this is the legendary guy, they tell the king. This is the David that that saying is about. And, and maybe he's come here to conquer Gath. Maybe he's come here to kill you. And the smartest thing to do if David is tricking you, if David is up to killing you, the smartest thing to do is that you kill him before he kills you. And David hears what's going on. He hears how the servants have picked up this, this saying about him and Saul and the tens of thousands that he had killed. And, and as he hears these words, he, he becomes concerned. He realizes that as, he flee, as he's fleeing from Saul, now he's coming to a king who now is thinking about killing him too. And suddenly, the courageous warrior becomes afraid. Did you see verse 12? Look at it again. Is that David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. Last week we talked about true greatness. We were looking at 1 Samuel 18 and we saw that occasion where Saul hurled a spear at David to kill him. And he did that because Saul had become obsessed with this saying of, Saul has lain his thousand and David has lain his tens of thousands and it drove Saul mad, literally. It drove him crazy so he tried to kill David. And, and in that occasion, Saul's paying attention to that saying but we don't see David concerned about it. It doesn't get to his head, it doesn't get to his heart. David remains focused on that occasion doing what God has called him to do, serving the king faithfully, going out on missions and campaigns and being successful. 
But now that he hears those words that are not new to him, they have a new, different meaning. And he allows fear to enter his heart. And in that fear, the best idea that comes to his mind is to act crazy, to act insane. He pretends that he's out of his mind. He's scratching the doors of the gate and he's letting saliva run down his beard. Can you imagine that? This courageous, handsome young man is now acting like an incompetent person, mentally incompetent. Instead of being admired, he's an object of pity. And the amazing thing is that it saves his life. The king, rather than looking for an opportunity to kill him, now wants him to get out of, of there. He, he says he has enough crazy people at home. I don't know how many of you can say amen to that. You relate to that. I got enough crazy people here. I don't need another one. And he, and he makes David leave. I wonder what must have gone through David's mind as, as he gets away from that. I mean, he was this close to being killed and, and he, he does this whole act, you know, drooling and, and scratching doors. And, and then the king says, look, man, I don't, I don't want him here. Send him away. And David's walking away. And I wonder if he's thinking, yes. Or if he's saying, man, that was dumb. I don't know. I don't know if, if, if his action was an act of wisdom that, that said, man, this is the best thing you can do given the circumstances, or, or if it was an act of fear, a lack of faith that made him act of wisdom. I don't know if his life was delivered because he acted insane or in spite of the fact that he acted insane. It's not clear to me in this passage, but, but there are two things that are, that are sure. There are two things that we can be sure of today. One of them is that God is sovereign and that when God has chosen someone like he chose David and when God has a plan for that person, that he will make sure that that plan gets accomplished. That sometimes we will make decisions that are guided by the spirit, that are wise decisions, and God will use those decisions to advance his plan. And sometimes we will make mistakes. Sometimes we'll make the wrong decision, but in spite of our wrong decision, God will still fulfill his plan because he is sovereign. We can rely on him. We don't have to rely on our own smarts, our own wisdom, on our own strength. The second thing that we can be sure of is that fear often makes us act a fool. The fear often drives us to be unreasonable. When we run out of friends and resources, we can either become afraid or we can learn to lean on God. That's the choice. The circumstances come to us, the difficulties come to us, the trials come to us, the tragedies come to us, but we have a choice. Will we, will we succumb to fear? Will we let it drive us crazy? Or will we lean on God? Matt Stepanek, Maddie Stepanek, I was born in 1990 to a mom who had been an athlete and was a very intelligent woman, a professor uh, 
and, uh, and she had four children. Three of them were older than Maddie. And in 1992, she was diagnosed with a rare form of, of muscular dystrophy. And, and, she, uh, uh, and all four children inherited the same disorder. And Maddie saw his three older siblings die before they were four years old, each of them fighting this illness. Can you imagine that kind of a tragedy for a little child? And then he himself was diagnosed with the same thing and soon he had to be on a wheelchair and have breathing machines and, and his life lasted a little longer than that of his siblings, but he died at the age of 13. But in 13 years of life, that short life, he wrote six best-selling poetry books and one collection of peace essays that was also bestseller. At the, by the age of 13, he became a motivational speaker, a poet, and a peace advocate. 13 years of age. He made some choices. He made some choices at his young age of oh, how he would face life. And he decided to to, uh, to listen to the voice in his heart. He said that, that God put heart songs in his heart. And he wrote those. Listen to some of the quotes uh, from him. He told his mom when he was dying to say goodbye to his mom, he, he gave her advice. And he told her, don't breathe simply to exist. Encouraging, to, encouraging her to live to the fullest. He said, sad things happen. They do, but we don't have to live sad forever. He said, when I die, I want to be a child in heaven. I want to be a 10-year-old cherub. I want to be a hero in heaven and a peacemaker, just like my goal on earth. He said, I want people to remember my life's philosophy, to remember to play after every storm. He said, God put a message in my heart and it's my job to shape that message with words so that the world can hear what God needs them to hear. I have a message from God. What an incredible child who at a very young age underwent more tragedy than many of us here in this room have ever undergone and who chose faith, who chose to believe who chose to lean on the God who made him and on the God who held his life in his hands and held eternity in his hands. Now David was a poet too. David would reflect on his life experiences and he would write poems. Many of these poems are found in our book of Psalms. And so when David went uh, through this experience with, with uh, uh, the priest Ahimelech and with King Achish, after it all happened, he reflected. I wonder if he thought, man, what was I thinking, drooling right there in front of the king? But he, as he reflected, he wrote a poem. And we find, find it in our Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is an invitation to lean on God. Go with me as, as we come to the last part of the message today to Psalm 34. The invitation is, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And then David invites us to fully lean on the sovereign Lord for his protection, beginning with verse four. 
Listen, it says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. You can lean on God's protection today on the most difficult of situations. David learned that. Have you learned that? Have you learned to lean on God in the midst of of difficult situations? Then David invites us to to lean fully on the sovereign Lord for his provision. Look at verse 8. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you, his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. You can lean on God for his provision. Listen, God takes care of the birds in the sky. He takes care of the flowers in the fields. And he will take care of you. Because you are his child. Because he loves you. He will give you the provision that you need. If you need food on the table, he's able to put bread on your table. If you need strength for your body, he will give strength for your body. If you need healing, he will give you healing. If you need grace to go through your illness, he will give you grace. And the the greatest provision that God has ever made is the provision of his son, Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ hung on the cross, giving everything for you, it was his way of saying, I am able to provide everything you need, including the forgiveness of your sins, the redemption of your soul, and eternal life for you. You can lean on him for your provision, spiritual and mental and physical and material and financial and in relationships. And then as we think about our church that is undergoing some financial struggles, we haven't been meeting budget for a couple of months. We're, we're at one of the lowest points in budget giving that we've been in a long time. And, and as we are aware of that and as we talk about that with the stewardship committee, with the pastoral staff, there's one thing that we can be sure of is that God is able to provide everything that this church needs. That if God has called this church to, to minister in McAllen, to carry out ministries beyond McAllen to other places that God will provide every resource that is needed. Even when we don't see it, he's working. Even when we don't feel it, he's working. And we're trusting him. We're trusting God to provide in the way that he provides for each of us, our daily bread and all of our needs. He's able to provide for this church out of the abundance that he's given us. And then thirdly, David invites us to lean fully on the sovereign Lord for his promises. 
The last part of the chapter, verse 15, says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And, and as you hear these promises, see which one will apply to you today. See which one you're going to say, that's my promise today. That's my promise this week. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them out of from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Promises. Promises that you can lean on. Promises that you can claim for yourself. You can pick one of these or one of the many hundreds of promises in the scriptures. Because you know that God is a promise keeper. He has never broken a promise. If he's made a promise to you, you can lean on that and you can trust him for that. Are you learning to lean on the Lord when everything around you seems to give out, when the relationships and the resources, when even reason seems to give out, when you wanna go crazy and pull your hair if you have any, do you decide to give in to the circumstances or do you decide to lean fully on the Lord? What will it be for you today? Would you stand with me? Father, I thank you for your word today, for the reminder that you give us that we can lean on you. But there are situations in our lives when it doesn't make sense. We may find ourselves alone. We may find ourselves unarmed. We may find ourselves afraid. But even when, when that is so, you are always there. You're always working and you're always carrying out your plan. So today, Father, we we want to lean on you. We want to trust you with our situation. Whether it's financial or relational, whether it's work-related, whether it has to do with our health, we want to lean on you, God. Father, we want to cast fear aside we don't want to give in to a fear that makes our problems bigger and makes you smaller. We want you to give us a faith that makes our problems smaller and our God bigger. But we can see your goodness and your faithfulness. So do that. Do that work in us. We open our lives to you. Father, if there's anyone here who, who cannot rest securely in you because they don't know Jesus, May today be that day that they come to your personal knowledge. As you continue with your heads bowed and you reflect on, on how God is asking you to trust him today, 
if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you've never received the free gift of forgiveness and salvation, you can pray this prayer where you are. If you really pray it with faith, you can say, dear God, I know you love me. I know I'm weak. I'm tired. I'm a sinner. And I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your redemption. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose from the dead. And I believe that's enough to take care of my sin to make me a new person and to restore me to a relationship with you. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I want to be a Jesus follower. From this day on, I want to trust you, regardless of the circumstances. You pray that prayer in faith. God will hear your prayer and we'll make you a new person. We'd love to hear from you after the service. Come and share with us what God is doing in your life. As we sing today, I invite you to respond to God's word, to lean on him, to trust him, to leave every trouble, every struggle, every anxiety, leave it here so that when you walk out of those doors, your heart is free and you, and you can praise rather than worry. Let's sing.